average small business spends about 6% of gross revenue on marketing, yet 46% of business owners don't know if their marketing is actually working. One in six of them report that their efforts are actually failing. You likely know that traditional marketing tactics like direct mail, billboards, and yellow page ads aren't effective at attracting new patients, nor are they useful in cultivating relationships with existing patients. What you might not know is where you should invest your marketing dollars to drive practice growth. In this episode, we discuss a marketing strategy known as content marketing that's proven to be far more effective at helping healthcare practices stimulate interest in their services and offer tips on how you can get started with the strategy today. Hello, and welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast, the doctor's resource for marketing and managing a thriving healthcare practice. I'm Jessica Nyer. With me today to discuss content marketing is Zane Hadar, who has five years of experience creating content for social media and online publications like blogs. Zane, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, of course. So to get us started, Can you define for everyone out there what content marketing actually means? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. You know, a lot of times we could just get bogged down in, you know, buzzwords and whatnot. But basically what content marketing is, as opposed to traditional marketing, like you mentioned in the intro, is trying to take a cohesive approach with generating online materials that keeps your audience informed and engaged rather than just directly advertising to them. Interesting. So let's say, for example... You're an auto manufacturer, automobile manufacturer that makes off-road vehicles. Rather than sending out direct advertisements that have prices and, you know, whatever features of the off-road vehicle you're, you know, offering, you might create a series of blog posts about trails that people could explore across the country that they might want to use your off-road vehicle to get to. Yeah. So it's it's more of a roundabout way of approaching marketing that allows you to take a holistic approach. You know, so instead of directly selling to your customers, you're giving them information that's useful to them, that makes them loyal to you as more than just a company selling a product. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So why is content marketing then the recommended strategy for independent healthcare providers? Yeah, that's, again, a really good question. So the reason I would say that independent healthcare providers should get into content marketing as soon as possible is because there's so much competition in healthcare. And I know we don't think about healthcare as a competitive market because, you know, we have classical visions of a doctor. He he might make, she or she might make house calls and is always available, but, you know, that's really not the way it is anymore. Um, And something I recently learned is that healthcare is actually the largest employer in the U.S. now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's surpassed manufacturing and retail, you know, to get that title. So this is an increasingly competitive field. It's harder and harder for doctors to stick out, um, especially from a regional perspective. You could Google a primary care physician and get, you know, hundreds of results, if not thousands in your, you know, whatever radius. Um, So it's pretty crucial to stand out somehow. And content marketing is a very effective way to do that, especially online. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you think about it, and doctors were used to attracting new patients through word of mouth Mm -hmm. just a few years ago. They need to do something now to help them stand out from the crowd. So content marketing is perfect. So explain to me a little bit how blogs are related to content marketing or social media for that matter. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that blogs and social media kind of fit in and, and, you know, one thing that we run into every now and then is people will want to know, you know, why would I do blog rather than social or should I be doing both? The, the real answer there, I think, is you should be investing in both of those things because they do serve a very different purpose, both from a technical perspective and I think also from a philosophical perspective. The way that I like to talk about it with customers that I talk to is that, you know, if you're catching up with your friends, you might have one phone call every month that's two hours long and you really just go for a deep dive. Right. But you're going to have text messages with them or let's say you talk to them on social media let's say every few days or every week, those messages are going to be a lot shorter, a lot quicker, and you get quick updates about their life. That's the difference between blogging and social. Interesting. Blogging is your opportunity, let's say you're a doctor, to really show off your expertise and show patients why they should choose you over somebody else who also serves that specialty. Whereas social is a chance to you know, give quick updates. Maybe you have a promo or an open house that's happening at your practice and you want to bring patients in the door. That's your opportunity to do that. Interesting. So I want to really drill that home for everybody listening. So it's not an either or situation. Doctors really should blog as much as they should be on social media. Yeah. So the frequency is going to be a little different. You might blog, let's say once a week or once a month, but you want to, the the important thing with blogging and with social is to have a, a consistent frequency, regardless of what that frequency you choose is. Of course, right. there are like optimal frequencies you should choose. But if you're going to blog once a month, do that once a month consistently so that people know what to expect. It's really to hammer that home. Like you said, it, it is essential to remember doing both is going to give you optimal results. You don't want to just pick one or the other. And frankly, there's no reason to only do one or the other. You can have your cake and eat it too in this situation. Yeah. What are the optimal times that a doctor should post? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, doctors are busy, frankly, so right. they're not going to be sitting down every, unless it's their passion uh, and, you know, they they have a huge interest in blogging or posting on social. Uh, for the most part, it's something they're going to be doing, you know, outside of their day to day jobs. And, you know, it, it can be difficult to get to that. Sure. Um, so I would personally recommend and this is what we do at Patient Pop uh, for blogging. We send out posts uh, once a month. Okay. So that's kind of our consistent clip. And that allows us to, you know, maintain a regular flow of topics that don't get stale. Yeah. Um, that way, you know, if we were blogging once a day or once a week, it, it might get to the point of being excessive. Well, as a patient, I'm never going to read it. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're not going to, you know, spend time reading 30 full-size blog posts every month. From no, a but one I definitely will. Yeah, exactly. You have the time for that. As far as social goes... Um, you know, we're ex actually experimenting with different uh, frequencies for posting, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of debate about what's the most effective, but I think what we've found is generally three to five times a week. So, you know, once every business day or once every other business day yeah. is generally a, a standard approach. Okay. So we talked about how often a doctor should post and on what sites they should. Um, what topic should be covered by doctors at the end of the day? I know that's a bit of a touchy subject because mm -hmm. HIPAA gets involved yeah. and doctors are concerned, but what are safe topics to really write about? Yeah, I personally, what I would say for doctors, if, if they're trying to come up with topics and, you know, they're racking their brains to come up with, you know, a list of things they can write about, start with simple questions that your patients have all the time. Now, Interesting. You're going to have a frequently asked page on your website, more likely than not. But this is your chance to really dive into those questions and 
provide like a, a consultative approach. Yeah. So if you have a question that comes up, you know, almost every patient visit, you could take the time to write a blog post about it. If, if let's say you're a podiatrist and you have a question about hammer toe, you should write a blog post about that because yeah. you could then not only answer that in the office, but refer your patients to this article to give them a deeper level of understanding that you may not be able to give across during a, you know, 30 minute patient session. Sure. It could save the doctor a lot of time, too, yeah. where if the patient's already read it, they have the information. Absolutely. And I, I, I like to take that approach because, you know, and, and this could apply to really any field, not just the medical field. Um, starting with a question leads to other questions. Mm -hmm. So if I start with a list of topics that's based around questions my patients might have, inevitably, especially a doctor, somebody who's an expert in their field is going to think of other questions that arise from that initial, you know, conversation, and it's going to really help them generate those topics. Interesting. So I know one buzzword that comes up quite a bit is the idea of keywords, mm -hmm. but I really don't know what that means. Yeah. Right. So what are keywords and how should doctors be using them? Yeah. Um, so keywords are crucial, uh, in a lot of ways, because the reason why we're blogging is not just to be a thought leader, but at the end of the day, we, we're taking a technical approach. So we want to rank higher in search results. Uh, we want to boost our SEO search engine optimization. So, you know, at the end of the day, I want a doctor to go from, let's say position 10 on Google to one or two. And the way that we do that through blogging is by inserting keywords that are relevant to the practice and that people are searching for, whether it be organically or through ads. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about, again, let's say a podiatrist, I want to put in keywords that people who are looking for a podiatrist are likely to search within my blog posts, because then Google will pick up on those keywords and rank me higher right. in their search results. Yeah. So it's, it's important to just keep in mind that those keywords are, you know, you're not going to just hammer them in because you still want your content to be thoughtful and engaging, but it almost acts as like a barometer or a compass to guide me in creating the content. Right. So to go back to your uh, you know other question, that's also a great way to think about what topics you should write. Yeah. About, is to consult a list of keywords that are relevant to practices that maybe compete with you or are in your area and use that as a list of creating content topics. And how does a doctor find that list if they want to do it on their own, which I know they don't have time to do? Yeah, there, there are several options there. So if, you know, frankly, if you Google keyword planners, there are a ton of free services that will allow you to type in sort of a topic and then it will generate a list of keywords that are related to that topic. Okay. Um, another option for, you know, healthcare providers uh, is if they wanted to sign up with advertising through Patient Pop, that's also something that we can help out with. We generate keywords for them and uh, help out with that process. So, got it. I know you mentioned earlier on in the podcast what the ideal time frame that a doctor should post on is. Um, I know that relates to editorial calendars, and and those are something that doctors should have. But what is an editorial calendar for everyone out there, and, and how should it be used by a healthcare professional? An editorial calendar, uh, to put it simply, is just, as it sounds, a calendar, but what it contains are the topics that you're going to be writing about for a given period of time. 
So if I have an editorial calendar that covers all of 2018 or all of 2019, what's going to be in there is every piece of content that I plan on creating and distributing over that year. So social blog, you're going to have specific examples. Exactly. And you may have separate uh, calendars for social, separate for blogging. Oh. That's what we do. Okay. So we'll have, for example, uh, an editorial calendar for the month of September for a doctor. And we have all of the posts outlined for this month. Uh, right there, including Twitter, Facebook, and Google. And what that allows us to do is make sure that the doctor and our team were both on the same page about what we want going out on their social channels. So really, it's an organizational tool. And because it's a pretty broad, general organizational tool, there's a ton of different ways you can use it. And there's also a ton of different tools you can use to create one. Uh, personally, we use Google Spreadsheets okay. because we've just found those to be the most customizable and the most easily shareable. Um, and you can also export those as Excel files or CSVs. Got it. So when you're talking about social media posts and blog posts, is there a certain length of posts that's recommended? And do you include that in your editorial calendar or not? Yeah, that's actually another topic of uh, fierce debate in the <laughs> online community, um, you know. But generally, what's accepted as being an optimum length for a blog post is anywhere from 500 to 800 words, um, especially nowadays as we're becoming more mobile focused and Google tends to rank mobile preferences higher when it's creating SEO rankings, um, shorter blog posts are becoming more common. Yeah. You wouldn't want to get to the point of being you know, around 100 or 200 words. That could be too clippy. Um, but generally in that 500... 800 range is, is what an optimum uh, blog post is going to run. Um, and of course, there are exceptions to the rule. It kind of depends on what you're talking about again. And if you're discussing a topic, let's say going back to the idea of keywords, if you have a list of 20 keywords that are relevant to that topic, you should go ahead and create a piece of content that's long enough to contain all of those mm -hmm. keywords. Um, so again, it is relative, but there, there are sort of standards for that. And the same thing goes for social. Um, just speaking anecdotally, and I'm sure you can agree with this, you're probably not going to read a Facebook post that's three paragraphs long. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So you want to keep those messages in in line with the way that consumers use yeah. social mediums because you're checking this really quickly. You just want a short update. So what we do is we create posts that are about a paragraph long for Facebook for our practices. That makes sense. Twitter, we keep it about a sentence. And for Google+, Plus, we have the same length as our Facebook posts. Yeah. I'm guilty of just reading headlines and moving on. Yeah, I think that's so. totally, and that's that's something that is not going to change. And if anything, you know, we're just going to become, when it comes to like processing information, consumers are going to become more efficient. We want to do things more quickly. So as marketers, we have to adapt to that rather than the other way around. We can't expect people to suddenly be interested in long form content all the time, you know? So I advise people just to get with the program when it comes to that. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So is there any reason why a doctor wouldn't blog or post to social media? Yeah, two big reasons there. Uh, number one, and we talked about this before, but doctors are just plain busy. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, the, the edge case is a doctor is, you know, running an OR, saving lives or you know, <laughs> doing surgery like that. But a lot of times, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill healthcare professional, they may not be, you know, using a defibrillator on somebody every hour, but they're still, they're still busy, you know? So 
they have a full calendar. They may be, a lot of times they're running their own clinic. A lot of these are small businesses. So their day is full with not just medical care, but administrative concerns as well. Um, So they just plum don't have the time to do it. And another case, this is less often nowadays because I think people are starting to understand more and more often, but a lot of the times people don't see the value of social or blogging. And that's going to be another instance where it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think you find that a lot with the differences in generations. Mm -hmm. Older generations tend to devalue social media and blogging in general when if you're trying to attract a younger generation or any generation for that matter, it's becoming more and more critical that you include blogs in social media. Yeah, absolutely. Strategy. For sure. And I, you know, I don't want to frame it as being like a static thing, like people of an older generation are never oh, no. going to, you know, and I, I'm sure you don't I either. should say there's people of an older generation than I'm from that sure. post to social media much more frequently Absolutely. than I do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've seen my parents text and drive, you know, mom and dad, I'm sorry, but, <laughs> you know, but but they've I've also watched them change over the years. Yeah. So for instance, you know, my dad runs his business. 10 years ago, he had no interest in social and, and things that were online. But nowadays, He's got three different questions for me every day about how he can optimize his social profiles. Interesting. Because he understands that that's the way to connect with people these days. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we're all impatient. We want to see results right away. And that's one of the biggest complaints we get from customers is it's day one. Why isn't your solution working? I know it takes time to see results um, from any of these things, but how often or I should ask, how long does it take to see results after implementing a content marketing strategy in your practice? Yeah, that's a question we get all the time. And, you know, again, that can vary based on a lot of factors. Of course, clients don't want to hear that. Um, And and that's a totally normal thing to expect. You purchase a product or service and, you know, you want to have concrete numbers around that. What I would say is generally for on-site rankings, for things that are on your actual website, you can typically expect some form of result around the six month mark. That makes sense. That's generally when that happens. And it tends to happen a little bit quicker for offsite rankings or offsite marketing efforts you have that takes a little bit longer. So let's say I'm trying to go viral on Twitter or another medium, that type of campaign could take anywhere up to a year to actually see results. Oh, interesting. Huh? I would have never known. Yeah. Well, Zane, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I was really happy to join you. The Practice Growth Podcast is brought to you by PatientPop. PatientPop enhances and automates each touchpoint in the patient journey, from first impression online to digital booking to post-appointment follow-up. With PatientPop, healthcare providers can attract more patients, manage their online reputation, modernize the patient experience, and automate the front office. For more information, visit patientpop.com.